Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to this message from Awaken Church Canberra. We hope this word stirs your faith and gives you perspective on how God is moving in your world. Wow. Welcome. Let's just take a moment to pray. Thank you, God. Lord, we just thank you for being able to come and be in your presence to encounter you and your goodness. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for your anointing upon what I speak this morning, Lord, that you would ensure everybody hears exactly what they need to hear, that we walk away having heard from you this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is our third third message in a series called Awaken. We've heard about awaking the individual. Last week, Pastor Scott preached an awesome message on awaken the family and how we have a vision for for our family. And I don't know about you, but I certainly went home and did some really uh, in-depth thinking about what actually are my priorities, what are my convictions. So if you didn't hear that message, I'd encourage you to uh, find it on our app. The week before, Pastor Nikki preached an awesome message, and I found that on my app because I was down the coast, and that was awesome as well. So today we're going to focus on awakening the church, awakening the church. Lots of authors have written about the church in this hour, and they liken it to a sleeping giant, to a large organisation, a large body of people across the planet, but who are largely unaware of the power and the authority and the resource that we have to make a difference in the world. And you look at kind of the history of the church and you probably don't have to go back too far, maybe only 60, 70 years or something like that. But the church was a highly esteemed institution. People in the church were thought leaders. They had influence. They were respected. But then came the hippie movement and a whole lot of social change and everything that was traditional was questioned and was held up and examined. And somehow in all of that, the church became very kind of uncool, unhip, untrendy. And it lost its standing in the community. I was at a, um, working in an organization this week and, uh, and it happened to be Harmony Day, which I'm not sure if everybody knows about Harmony Day, but we celebrate diversity and and inclusiveness. And I happened to be working with women leaders and senior women leaders that day. And in the middle of the day, they had this panel session, which was fantastic, these awesome leaders, uh, just getting an opportunity to hear them. Fantastic facilitator uh, leading that session. But then just at the end, diversity, inclusion, she blasphemes. I mean, she did it in a, you know, funny Aussie kind of way, but she said the name Jesus quite disrespectfully. And I don't know if the irony of this is hitting you, but, you know, we're supposed to, in Australian culture, respect, value everybody, all beliefs. But yet here was a senior leader in an organisation blaspheming the name of Jesus. And I I bet nobody else in this room even noticed that. And I think it just shows, you know, where we are as a church and how we're considered. And, you know, something miraculous from the heavens isn't going to just come down and zap us 
and we're back to being thought leaders and people of influence. For the church to awaken, that takes us capturing the vision that God has for us. And so quite a while there in the history of the church, you know, because it got difficult, because there was opposition, people started to pray that, take us home, Jesus. You know, just, just take us away from all this. And the church pulled back and became, you know, separate from the rest of the world. And we lost that sense of mission that we're here to be change agents. You know, what did Jesus say? Light of the earth, soul of the world. Was it the other way around? Light of the world, soul of the earth, doesn't really matter. The point is that we're change agents and we're supposed to be making a difference. So that's what I wanna talk about this morning. How does that sound? Anybody wanna go home yet? And you know, we're not coming from, because uh, it might be uncomfortable. I'll just tell you that up front. And I hope it is. It's uncomfortable for me as well, if that makes you feel better. And it's not that we're coming from this place of, you know, world domination. Everybody's got to look like us, sound like us. You know, their expression of Christianity has to be the same, you know, Western kind of way. What it is, is having a passion, as Matt's already talked about, having a passion for actually bringing Jesus, you know, the goodness of God into everybody's world so that they have an encounter with him and get to express it in whatever context that they're actually in. Does that make sense? So we're going to uh, look at a, um, at a, at a Bible story in, in a moment, but I just want to give you a little of context before we look at it. So it comes out of Ezekiel 37, which we all know, it's dim dry bones, or lots of us might know, but some context of what was going on. So this period in time in the Bible history in Ezekiel was known as the Babylonian exile because the Babylonians and all their great armies had been coming against Israel. And they, um, we'll read that in a minute. And they had, there'd been two major raids and all of the, you know, the kings and the major leaders had been taken out of Israel and taken to Babylonia. Babylon, that would be. And there were two raids and by the end, Jerusalem, the temple, all of the leaders in the David kind of monarchy line, they'd all been gone. So the Israelites were crushed. They were broken. Everything that they held dear, everything that they'd put their hope in had been absolutely, totally shattered. And in the face of this, God rises up a young prophet to be a voice of hope in that environment. So let's have a look, Ezekiel 37. I'm gonna read a chunk. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of many bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. There's a second part up there as well. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, 
Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, or as another version says, an exceedingly great army. Yes. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So Ezekiel's caught up into this, into this vision and he sees these dry bones and it just so perfectly expresses what the people of Israelite are experiencing. We have the next slide. You know, bones might be, it might be just a word. Oh, it's raining in lots of places now. Bones <laughs> might be just a word to, to us, but to the Israelites, bones had a really deep, significant meaning. And in fact, when people used the word bones, they were talking about, you know, their, their deepest self. We see it in a number of different verses. Psalm 31, my strength fails because my misery and my bones have wasted away. You know, it's getting deep, it's getting desperate. My bones are shaking with terror. My bones burn like a furnace. And when Adam sets eyes on Eve, he says, at last, this is bone of my bone. So that imagery there that, that, that God uses through Ezekiel to express is like that deeper sense and so the Israelites are there. It's a picture of when it is so bad, it is so dry, everything is so dead that there is absolutely no hope left. Has anybody been in that situation? Probably if we've lived a little while, we've experienced that at times where we feel like we've come to the end of ourselves and there's nothing left. I can remember a time Oh, a few years ago now, but, but that very much was where I was at. I felt like my bones had wasted away because of my misery. And there were days that I literally could not get off the floor. Lying on the carpet felt like the only safe place to be. And you know, God gave me an image one time when I was lying on the carpet, because it was the only safe place to be. And um, it was Roadrunner. Who, who watched Roadrunner? Who's seen Roadrunner clips? And the episode that came to mind was um, somehow Roadrunner had managed to get a steamroller and um, encountered Coyote and had run him over, of course. And so there was Coyote just smeared completely on the pavement, you know, just paper thin. Has anyone seen that episode? You've got a picture. And Coyote's just kind of got his head slightly raised off the, off the roadway, kind of going, what's next? Can it possibly get any worse? Who's been there? Not just me, please, show of hands. Come on, thank you, thank you. And we all go there at times and we feel like our hope is absolutely and completely shattered. And I think that part of the reason that the church needs to, to um, that, this, that this passage in Ezekiel 
I mean, yes, it's a poetic description and it's a prophetic description, but it captures what we need in this hour. And that is the sense that comes next because we hear this analogy of the bones and how desperate and how bad it is. But then God speaks again. He doesn't just leave it there. And he never, ever just leaves us there either. You know, the second part of that verse, as we read, talks about, you know, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy, to speak. And what is it that he tells them, tells him to prophesy? It's breath. But you know, before that breath came, it looked very much like a graveyard. Bones everywhere. Bones that had no hope of actually coming back to life. But you know, like in this situation with Israel, God is never daunted by what seems to be dead, what seems to be buried. And in fact, he looks at a graveyard very differently from us. Let's have this quote. It's an awesome quote I love from an author called Miles Monroe. I don't know if anyone's ever encountered any of his stuff. He says, the wealthiest places in the world are not gold mines or oil oil fields or diamond mines or banks. The wealthiest place is the cemetery because there lies companies that were never started, masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery, there is buried the greatest treasure of untapped potential. There's a treasure within you that must come out. Don't go off to the grave with the treasure still in you. It's a profound quote, isn't it? How many of us have stuff within us that's just sitting there, simmering away, that we've kind of perhaps stepped back from, pulled back from? I have a book that's been at 50,000 words for about five years. When I read this quote again, I remembered this quote. It challenged me. There you go, now I've put it out there. I'm accountable to all of you. You're all free to nag me and say, Sally, are you ever going to do anything with that book? But, you know, we get, because we've experienced these hits, you know, we pull back. A really interesting thing about Miles Monroe, is anybody familiar with him at all? A couple of people. So he's written about 38 books. And he used this analogy of, of the graveyard to stir people to... Um, to really embrace what God has for them so they could be a difference. He was tragically killed. Maybe his late 50s, maybe his early 60s, I don't know, way, way too young. But I think, I think that he managed to extract what God had put in him and made a huge difference in his life. And to me, that's really significant. So, does dryness have to equal death? No. Because we worship a God who has always got a plan of redemption and he always wants to speak redemption in our life. So as in with the story that we're reading, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy and to release breath. And breath, again, is an incredibly powerful symbol in in the Israelite um, culture. If we can have the next slide. The word breath me, or the word for the Hebrew word for breath is ruach, and ruach changes everything. There's so many meanings for this word, it's such a rich word. It's about spirit, wind, breath. It's about that presence of God that is so tangible that we can feel it. 
It's about the power of God. One description I found once sometime, I'm pretty sure, I couldn't find it again, but I'm sure it's there, is that Ruach is also like a warm hug. You know, it's God's presence so close to us that it feels like a warm hug. And when we speak breath, as Ezekiel did, when we speak life into those situations that look very dead, things happen. We saw the bones come together. We saw the sinew, the muscles, the bodies were there. But that wasn't quite enough. It wasn't until the Ruach, the breath, the Spirit of God actually came into those bodies that they were able to arise and to become that exceedingly great army. Back to the roadrunner. So the second part, and I don't know if this is true in the episode, but I think it might be. But it, it was like Roadrunner then came back on his steamroller and instead of actually having another go at Coyote, he brings a pump, you know, one of those pumps, and he attaches it to Coyote and starts to pump it up and eventually Coyote becomes, you know, big and able to be hurt by Roadrunner again, which was Roadrunner's motivation. You can't kill a really good opposition or where's the fun in that? And, and God was speaking to me at that moment about, you know, life coming back into me. And it's that ruach, that breath. And I just believe that there are dreams and there are hopes and there are things this morning that God has laid in your heart at some stage. And that circumstances and difficulties have come and caused you to let go of those things. And I believe globally that the church is like that. You know what? The enemy doesn't have to kill us to remove our effectiveness. He just has to do what he did to the Israelites and that is steal our hope. Because if he has our hope, then we're diluted in our effectiveness. So how does this relate to the church? What can we learn from this in, in our current context? How can we take these principles? And I think there are three things that God wants us to understand and, and to be able to, to apply in our own context, if we can have the next slide. We have to do what Ezekiel did. He believed, he spoke, and then he caused that arising. So he believed, first of all. Imagine you're confronted with a desert full of dry bones. Everywhere you look, there's dry bones. And God says to you, reckon we can um, pull that all together? What would be our first thought? No way. It's, you know, God, you can only do so much. But Ezekiel's a smart man. He, he gives a very, very strategic answer. He says, well, you know God. Only you know the answer to that. But even that tiny little, well, you know, there's a possibility. Perhaps there's some belief. And we need to come to that place of belief like, Israel, like Ezekiel did to be, before we can actually move on. So belief is so important because faith is the currency of heaven. The only way that we can influence, the only way that we can wage supernatural war, the only way that we can do anything for God and, and live is if we're willing to believe him. If we're willing to believe what he said. If we can have the next slide. Because our belief will always determine our behaviour. 
Who's ever tried to um, give something up? You know, like eating sugar or an addiction or um, watching television. And you try really, 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 really hard. What do you notice when you're trying to give something up? You get grumpy, you get tired, you get irritable. And you think that you're experiencing all those things just because you're missing whatever it is you're trying to give up. But actually, you experience all those things because you're using your willpower. And we actually don't have a lot of willpower. When we're using that part of our brain, it gets tired really easily and we get grumpy. So how God works is he works on our thinking. Bible tells us to renew our mind. And when we renew our mind, that's what renews our behaviour. So our beliefs will always determine our behaviour. If we're trying to give something, it's why New Year's Eve resolutions, they get about 5% traction. Because people are really good the first week and the second week, but the third week, they go back to what they actually believe. You know, going to the gym sucks and I'd rather eat sugar or whatever it happens to be. So if we want to change our lives, we've got to change our beliefs. Our belief is anchored on two things. That's the picture I've got up there. It's anchored in the Word of God. If we see something in the Word of God, a promise, it's ours. It's ours. You know, we, we have this book that is so rich and so full of absolutely everything we need. All we have to do is look at it. So it's anchored on the Word of God, but it's also anchored on our righteousness in Jesus and only in Jesus. Who's ever had that thought that once I get that thing sorted in my life, then, then I'm going to be all good before God? Anyone ever had that thought? Yeah. What were we thinking, Michael? <laughs> because of course we've got another thing, or another thing, and another thing, and there's endless numbers of things. The only thing that makes us right before God and able to speak that word and declare it like, like and have power is because of what Jesus did for us. So, you know, there's lots of things that happen in our world that stop us from believing and stop us from embracing life. What is it for you? Some of us think, well, we've tried before in church and it was difficult and I got offended and they're nasty people and why would I go there again? It's too much effort. Some of us think, well, you don't know the life I've lived. You don't know what I've done. You know, how could there be a place for me in actually being a change agent for God? Some of us think there are things that actually disqualify us. But there is nothing that disqualifies us from do, being and doing what God has called us to be and do because it's not based on our righteousness. It's only based on Jesus's. So believe. What, what's, what's led you to a point where you've pulled back, where you've settled? And we all do it, and we've all done it, and we're all there probably to one extent or another. But just let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Where do you know that you've pulled back and perhaps there's something more? So we have to believe. We also have to speak. We have to speak. We have to release our words. You know, if faith is the currency of heaven, our words are what release the power. God, it talks right in the beginning, God framed the world with his words. Can we have the next slide? And God expects us 
to frame our worlds with our words. When we speak words that are in the Bible, they have the exact same authority as if God said them. You know, in the Old Testament, God appeared, he walked on the earth face to face sometimes or spoke through prophets. Then when Jesus was on the earth, that was God in the earth in flesh. Now God is also on the earth in the form of the Holy Spirit in you and in me. And so when we speak his words, we're speaking the very word of God. Does that excite you? Does that kind of lift your vision? Because it's so easy to forget and be asleep like the church. But I want to encourage you too that like with Ezekiel, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in just one prophetic declaration. You know, he called the bones to come together and then he called and spoke and prophesied the breath to come and bring the life. Sometimes in our faith journeys, we have to speak and then we have to speak and then we have to speak and then we have to speak again. And that's the process of faith. I was looking through an old Bible um, the other day and I might have already said this the other day. I can't remember. Anyway, I found this little um, with compliments slip from, do you remember, anyone remember with compliments slips in the public service, these little things? And um, I've got some awesome friends here. I can't stop looking at you. Joy and Paul, welcome them. Give them a big round of applause. (laughs) All the way from Hong Kong. And Joy and I used to work together. Anyway, we had these little slips and I probably shared it with Joy back then. And, you know, at that time I was, I was struggling to, to fall pregnant and then to stay pregnant and then been going on for years and years. And so I had on this with compliments slip, my verses, that faithful is he and utterly trustworthy. This whole range of verses, two sides of this with compliments slip. And as it just kind of fell out and I picked it up and I looked and I saw that, you know, it helped to produce four awesome sons. And I felt you know, challenge to pick up those words, those, those same verses again. Because, you know, my boys aren't all fully in the kingdom of God as much as I would like to see, let's just say. And, you know, there, there are issues and there are struggles and they're flipping difficult. And, you know, to pick up these words and again, just speak them until I see them. And, you know, I know, as we sang this morning, hindsight tells me that God is incredibly faithful and he will do it again. Amen. Yes, we need to see all our kids in church fully. You know, it's a process. Don't give up. Keep going because God has to be faithful to his word. The last thing we need to do is arise. That's what those bones did. They became people and they became a vast and exceeding army. And that's God's word to us this morning. We need to awaken. We need to arise. Here's one of my favourite, favourite verses. comes from Isaiah 60. I'm going to read it from the Amplified because I love it so much. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. They're the dead bones. That's the lying on the floor, run over by the steamroller. Rise to a new life. Shine. That's the light. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord for your light has come. This is past tense. Jesus has come. The Holy Spirit is in us. The glory of the Lord has come upon us and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and dense darkness all people. But the Lord shall arise upon you, O Jerusalem, O awaken. Is that our name? Awaken, yes? Awake. The church. Awaken, good. I've been in this church, I've had four names, all right? So I'm just, I've been here a while. Anyhow, awake, the Lord shall arise upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a picture of us, the New Testament church, the glory of the Lord upon us. Each of us arising awake, fully awakened to what God has called us to do. Just do a little evaluation as I am doing right now. Where do I measure up in relation to that? Where do I perhaps need that to arise a little bit more? And the reason that we need to do it is because unless we arise, there's so many other voices out there. There's so much hopelessness out there. There's so much despair out there. People actually need the light. They need an encounter with God. Isaiah 61, our next one, is also a favourite. And I want to read that for you this morning as we, as we wrap up. It starts off with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That word spirit there is the ruach. It's the breath. It's the wind. It's the power. It's the presence of God is with me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and afflicted, he sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to captives, and to open the eyes of the blind. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favour to them has come, and the day of his wrath to, the, to their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. For God has planted them, us, like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. You know, part of the reason that we go through suffering, we go through those, those hard times, is because that is also part of what abundant life is all about. You know, Jesus tells us that he came to give us abundant life, and we think, great, fantastic, cruisy from here on in. But abundant life, and I remember Pastor Deb Raymond saying this, and it just blessed me, Abundant life is not just the good, it's also the bad. Abundant life is the richness of life. You know, when we go through suffering, we experience different parts of God than we do when everything's cruisy. When we experience difficult times, we pull more on God's love and his provision and his power. It's there that we get to say things like, let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich. We experience different facets of God. And when we do, we've actually got something to give away to somebody else. We experience suffering, we understand empathy. When we go through really difficult times, we lose our capacity to judge others harshly to some degree. And that's a good thing, because that makes us like Jesus. When I used to be a pastor, and so I'd speak lots and often, and that would be the, the verse. I would always, you know, just speak to myself 
as I was preparing to speak. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And then I moved out of that role and, and went back into, into um, I, I don't like the word secular because it's all sacred, but back into the marketplace. And I was petrified. I'd been out of that corporate government world for about 15 years. I was really comfortable speaking in church. But what was I doing speaking in front of a whole room full of suits that were mostly men? And, you know, God challenged me, you know, just as I would rely completely on his anointing in a church context, I could also rely completely on his anointing in a secular context. Because guess what? How many people are here? I don't know, some. But there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more in your workplace every single day. So when I stand up in front of a group, I still look at that because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to bring hope, to bring light. And we just need to be in tune with that so we can find those opportunities. It's quite funny this week, I was um, meeting with a first assistant secretary, for those of you who speak public service, a very senior um, executive, and it was about a, a gig that I might be going to do for him. And at one point in the conversation, I just clearly saw his next career move. And before I could stop myself, I said to him, you need to do this. And then I thought, you really should have waited until you had the gig before you start offering career advice. And he just kind of looked at me, completely taken back. And then he went, yeah, you know what? I've been thinking of doing that. Maybe that is where I need to go. And it was like, that was God's spirit showing me something to speak and to release. You know, we see people, mums at schools, picking up kids, people on work sites, people in elevators. You know, do we have a little bit of light for them? Do we have a little bit of hope and a little bit of connection? Can we at the very least smile and, and notice them? You know, what is this thing that we get into a lift and all pretend like, you know, we're not humans? I was listening to, um, what's his name? Uh, Hugh, Hugh Mackay, not Mackay, McKay, Hugh Mackay. And although I don't agree with everything, you know, he said to, he's a researcher, social researcher, and he says, you know, we're humans, we're social animals. He said, imagine an alien came down and looked at people in a lift and you told that alien that people were social animals. And it's like, I don't think so. Anyway, I'm diverging. So... How can you bring light? How can you bring hope? Where is that that you need to awake and to arise? Let's arise to our feet right now. Maybe we can have Beck back. Let's stand. Thank you, God. Let's just look to Jesus for a minute, hey? Father, we just thank you that you are such an awesome God. That no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives right now, all you see is redemption, all you see is potential, all you see is hope, and all you do is love. So just as Ezekiel, you know, made a prophetic declaration, did a prophetic act, I'm just going to invite you now to just, just personally, just between you and God. If you know this is, has just spoken to you this morning, if you know there's a bit of a rising and a bit of awakening 
and a bit of letting some unhelpful beliefs go. Just right where you are, just lift your hands to God. Just as that act of connection. I know I've got some, so, such a long way to go. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We just invite you in. We just invite you to give us clarity, give us strategy, to bring healing where we've been wounded, to silence the lies of the enemy that say we can't, we're not enough, we've been disqualified. And to have that conviction that the blood of Jesus qualifies us and nothing else can. Lord, we just pray you just release your spirit, Lord. God, that you just breathe that Ruach breath, that breath that imparts life. That you just let it flow into our spirits right now. Like Roadrunner with the pump, Lord God. Fill us afresh with your breath, with your life, with your hope. That it's a new day as individuals, as this church, as a church globally, that we rise up to be that vast and exceeding army to bring who you are into our worlds. Thank you, Lord. And just while we've got our eyes closed, there might be someone here who hasn't had that encounter with Jesus before. That you haven't tasted of His love and His goodness. Or maybe you've been away from Him and you know it's that time to really connect and come back and pick up the life that He has for you. So if that's you, I just invite you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. It's just between you and God. I just want to say today, Lord, I just give my life. I just surrender. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Who just wants to say, Lord, I give you my life. Thank you. I know you've got good for me. I know you've got awesome for me. Thank you, God. Anyone else? you to just have conversations with people. Make yourself accountable. What is it God's got for you? Tell someone and they can hold you accountable like I just did. This has been another great message from Awaken Church Canberra. We'd love to see you at one of our locations soon. 